Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Park, and today our guest is Jonathan Clem. And Jonathan is a real estate managing broker, investor, developer, and general contractor. He's also a construction engineer with a decade of experience on residential, commercial, and water projects, as well as heavy civil projects, including complex underground utilities, concrete structures, highway bridges, and tunnels. He's the founder and CEO of Quality Builders, a general contracting technology company serving real estate investors and subcontractors. And he's also the business development founder of Kimball Capital, a real estate development and capital raising company. Jonathan, welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Elaine, I'm doing wonderful, to be honest. It's Friday. It's sunny here in Chicago. Super grateful for you having me on the podcast. And I'm hoping I can add a ton of value to your listeners any way I can. Thank you. I can't say the same thing about here in California. It's a Overcast, we've been getting rain and it's cold. I got the space heater going and kind of bundled up. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, can you share a little bit more about your background with us and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So, as you kind of touched on, I kind of always had the mindset from a younger age, you know, just from my parents that my path in life was supposed to follow you know, four or five specific steps. One was to go to college, get a degree, go work for a nice corporate job, get a nice salary, uh, which I did all of that, and then invest in my 401k. And then hopefully, if I saved enough, maybe I could retire by the time I was 60 or 55, a little bit early. And while I did follow that path for a little while, so I did go to school and I went to school at Iowa State and studied construction engineering, as you mentioned. Then I went to work with Walsh Construction, which is this huge conglomerate, you know, multi-billion dollar construction company. And so I've worked on any type of project, any size that you can think of. But then I continued to feel myself kind of hitting my head on the ceiling there. And I traveled around for a long time. So I lived in Denver and Austin, New Orleans, Dallas, and then Louisville. And then in Louisville, to be honest, I had the mindset of scarcity. And I was so cheap that I wasn't willing to pay rent anymore. And so I decided that I wanted to buy a place. And so I bought my first property in Louisville, Kentucky. I actually bought it through auction.com believe it or not. And that was kind of the start of it. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about house hacking or living flipping or anything like that. It was just literally, I was too cheap to pay rent. And so I thought I'd buy a house. And that's where I got started. Isn't that counterintuitive? Because for the house, you're putting down a large chunk of money and then having to pay the mortgage as well. What was the mindset behind that? I just knew that, I mean, I did the math. I'm a pretty analytical, data-driven person. And I was like, well, it seems like if I put some money down and I found it through auction.com, that if my rent is going to be about the same as my mortgage. And I already saved up a decent enough money to have a down payment. 
and I didn't know what else to do with it. And it just seemed like it made the most sense. So I bought by far the, you know, ugliest looking house on the block. And then I went on to try and do everything possible myself, which I'll never do again. That was for your your personal living situation. Yes, correct. That was my first property that I ever bought. And it was a living flip. So I lived it in there and I flipped it. And then I also technically house hacked because I got a roommate who lived with me after we did some of the remodeling. Oh, so what was the hardest part about doing everything on your own? Well, for me, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so although I do have a remodeling background and I have a construction background, but not necessarily sanding hardwood floors and doing all the, like the smaller details. I mean, the projects we were on were $500 million, you know, massively large. So I tried to do everything the cheapest way possible, opposed to understanding if I actually found someone who's really good at what they do, paid them what they were worth, I could actually end up scaling my business much quicker. And for me, that was probably my biggest downfall in my past is I've always tried to do things the cheapest way opposed to paying someone what they're worth and knowing that my time's more valuable going to look for the next deal or going to do whatever that higher dollar per hour activity is I need to be doing instead of sanding a hardwood floor or hanging drywall or whatever these tasks are that I know I could go find more deals and make more money that way. So after you bought that first house, what did you do after that? So I actually moved to Norway and (laughs) I worked, yeah, I moved to Norway and we worked on a U.S. embassy in Norway and I didn't like my job. I didn't like my boss. Um, I really had a ton of time for self-reflection because I used to be someone who was very self-absorbed, unaware, wasn't happy with myself, wasn't confident. And it was kind of during that time that, you know, through all these other money websites like, you know, Mr. Money Mustache and Paula Pant. And, you know, there's all these things I remember that I finally stumbled across Bigger Pockets, uh, which your listeners that don't know, it's just probably the best uh, real estate forum there is on the internet to get help and advice. And then it was there, you know, I spent a lot of time you know, researching, business planning. And I came back from Norway. I ended up selling that live and flipped, moved back to Chicago. And on that first project, I bought it for 113. I put about 60, maybe $75,000 into it. And I sold it for 285,000. And so we walked and plus, if you live in a property for the last two out of the last five years, you don't have to pay those capital gains taxes. So I was able to take all of that hundred thousand dollars. I actually cashed in all of the money I had invested into the stock market, and so that was about another fifty or sixty thousand dollars. And I doubled down and bought a two-unit building here in Chicago, and that also had a vacant lot attached to it. And so with that two-unit, I also tried to do everything myself. I actually decided this time that I would hire out electrician and HVAC company. And uh, with the HVAC company, who was a family friend, re- recommended electrician. Uh, his price was about $1,500 higher than another electrician who I found on Google or something who had great reviews. Of course, I went with the lower guy. 
and it was a complete nightmare. Ended up underbidding the job and he had to do a lot of rewiring. And then out of nowhere, our service, our electrical service on the back of the house ended up missing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I was right. So uh, he made me rebuy it, repaper a new one. He claimed someone sold off to the side of the house. I know very concretely that it was very more than likely him. Um, but just another example of me living in scarcity and instead of paying an extra 1500 bucks and not having to worry about any of that, um, I had to learn things the hard way. Um, yeah. It's interesting because sometimes you have to go through these like pain points first and these pain lessons before you get to a point where you realize sometimes the the cheapest is not the best way to go. But in that situation, you know, that's what you're focused on because you're trying to scramble and save every dollar you can to start to build up something for yourself. Yeah, I 100% agree. I feel like it's a, a double-edged sword uh, that sometimes you have to learn those lessons to be able to kind of grow. Um, I would just say to all your listeners, though, like you don't have to learn those lessons the hard way. If you're scrounging over a couple of extra thousand dollars, you're clearly thinking about the smaller picture. One of the things I try to ask myself with every decision I make is whether this is a short-term or long-term decision. And of course, we need short-term decisions in our lives. You know, it's okay to eat cookies and drink a pop every now and then. But what I've tried, what I've tried to do is kind of break them into buckets and say, 80% of my time, I want to be making a long-term decision. And then 20% of the time, I'm okay making a short-term decision. And what I've also found is just the more I can find other people who have done what I've done before, I was a great copier in school and I used to get in trouble for it. Now, as an adult, you know, copying isn't a bad thing. You know, finding people who've done what you have done before should be encouraged because they're more than willing to help you, especially everyone in the real estate space that I've come across. They're more than willing to show you what hasn't worked for them. And for me, I'm always happy to help anyone, uh, you know, grow and learn so that they don't have to make the same mistakes I did. We think we don't have enough. That's obviously the mindset of being scarce. And just not feeling like we have enough when ultimately we have enough. We, you know, especially us of us, us of us, (laughs) all of us here in the United States, you know, we have food, water, shelter. And at the end of the day, we know we're much more well provided than most of the people around the rest of the world. So take us to what you're focused on today. Yeah. So very good question. And so I'll touch really quick. Last, Last year, I was focused on the four businesses that I started. One was our general contracting technology company, Quality Builders, uh, which is now my main focus and should have always been my main focus. But And then I started a, a development company. So we built up a, a ground up single family house on the vacant lot as well next to the two unit building. And we sold that one for 1.1 million and bought another uh, 19 unit with a 1031 exchange. So I have that those as rental properties. And I have the brokerage as well that is geared towards investors. And then we have an off-market kind of marketing company on wholesale side of stuff. Well, my problem was I set these you know nice big goals for all four of these different companies. And I spend about 25% of my time on all of those companies. And hindsight, it's no surprise that I hit about 25% of my goals for all of those companies. And so... I think for me, I have to always evaluate where is my time being best spent at and what's my highest and best use. And for me, it's no question 
no doubt at all that it should be our technology company, Quality Builders. There's just a lack in the space uh, for a contractor that you can trust, who communicates well with you, who can send you pictures and updates in a full schedule and build you an estimate you know, in a reasonable amount of time. And so that by far is now my main focus. I actually don't look for any deals anymore. Deals naturally kind of come to me here and there, but my focus is 100% now on our GC tech business. So you started up the four businesses and we're spending 25% of your time in each of those businesses. What made you change and what redirected you to put all your focus into one business? I think it was looking back, it was obvious I was spread too thin. And it was obvious to me that Quality Builders was by far the one that has the most potential to go on to be a billion dollar company. You know, we work with really big numbers. Our average project size is probably close to 300,000. And so, you know, when you can do three or four projects a year and you're already a million dollar company, that's clear clearly indicated that that's going to be the business that can be the base. You know, there's tons of brokerages out there already. There's tons of wholesalers out, out there already, but there's not that many contractors in a space with where there's almost zero technology. And so what we're trying to do at our company, just like at Uber or Lyft, where they're matching riders and drivers together, and then they take that data of how long it takes to get from this point to that point, then they recycle it. And over time, they know exactly how much it costs instantaneously to get to that point. And so we're doing this exact same thing with our estimating for projects. So that way, you as a client, Eileen, you might have a full gut renovation for a two-unit building that's a 1,000 square foot per floor. You have two kitchens, two baths. And basically, we're able to track all that data, recycle it again, and then be able to match all of the subcontractors, the electricians, the plumbers, the carpenters, and then send them to the next job, just like a Lyft or Uber driver goes to pick up their next ride. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. Okay, so you guys are sourcing all the subcontractors and basically matching up what's who's the best person to align themselves with that job that they're looking to complete. So our target client is real estate investors. And that's mainly because we see the lack of high quality contractors in the space. And because we know the space so well, I also had worked at a tech company in the property management space as well, where we did rent collection and maintenance. And it's just evident, you know, that the property management space was very behind in technology as well. And construction is even further behind. And so we know working with homeowners is great. Uh, but I don't know if you ever had your home 
redone yourself, but you want everything, every detail perfect, and you're switching this finish and that finish, and everything is just so much more scrutinized uh, that we kind of understand the value of working with an investor where they just want the material that's going to bring the highest rent to their property. So in the space in the space that you're in right now, we saw a lot of changes, especially in the past couple of years, in terms of pricing and the labor shortages and things like that. What's the current market like right now in terms of general contractors and what you're seeing in the space? Yeah, I'd say market-wise, general contracting, material labor, all of that stuff pretty much fouls the general public inflation. And so, you know, during COVID, there was obviously a, a huge shortage of lumber, windows, doors, stuff like that. And that was actually all due to supply chain management issues. So basically, they, were, they didn't have the labor to cut the lumber, and then the lumber couldn't get here. So lumber completely skyrocketed during COVID. Same with the windows and doors. And now everything is settled back down. Investors are kind of expecting it to go back down to what it was before. But the fact is that inflation has been steadily climbing higher than it's ever climbed before. And so all of our materials, all of our labor, none of that's going back down. It's kind of probably the same thing you're seeing on you know the bigger multifamily stuff, that the prices aren't always reflecting what the property is worth now. Now the interest rates have gone up. And it's the same thing with labor, material, and construction. So once you decided to put all your focus into this general contracting business now, what did you do in your business to change it and to scale it to where it is today? Uh, So for us, we're trying to take all the systems and processes we've used from a macro level. So from where my team, who is amazing, we worked on really big projects, $100 million, $500 million projects. And there's all these systems and processes that are typical to use on that side as a project that are almost unheard of using two-unit building that's a $300,000 rehab. And so following the Michael Gerber ebook model, you know, we're trying to build everything into a system and process so that way we can plug and play our business into every metropolitan city around the country. But until we absolutely crush it here and have the systems nailed for both the marketing and the sales of both sides of the marketplace. So the subcontractors and the real estate investors, it makes it, we don't want to go somewhere else. We know that once we nail it here, then we'll be able to easily go and play in everywhere else. So we're using project management software that's already out there. We thought we would have to build our own. So we're using a software called Builder Trend and all of our clients get a portal that they can sign into that has daily reports of there's two electricians on site. They get pictures of the electricians and what they worked on. And we set up a full schedule from start to finish at every job that they can log in and see. And then we meet with them every week for a half an hour to go over any schedule, budget, or cost updates. As you grow and expand into different markets, how are you finding qualified subcontractors to work with and partner up with? Yeah, I think that's always going to be by far one of the biggest challenges is finding the right subcontractors. And, you know, we bet our subs just like anyone else should bet them. We start off by, you can find plenty of them on Google, Angie's List, any of these kind of thumbtack, other marketplace sources where subs are at. And then what we try and do is we try to just 
kind of check their credibility to start. Do they have a website? Do they answer the phone? If we can actually talk to them, you know, we just want to align with them in general over the phone. You know, you can tell a lot from someone. If they're super busy and running around and doing everything and they can't even spend five minutes to talk to you, that's a clear indication that they're a subcontractor that's working in their business and not on it. You know, we're looking for people who are working on their business, looking to scale. People are working in their business. It's so hard for them to get out of it. And that's one of the solutions we're trying to bring um, because most subcontractors have trouble with five different things. It's going to be the marketing, the sales, the estimating, the scheduling, and their cash flow. And we're able to hopefully solve all of those issues for them. And so after we've talked to them on the phone, kind of gotten alignment, they understand how we work, how we can help them. Um, the last thing we try to do is meet them on one of their current job sites and see what it looks like. A messy job site is a clear indication of messy work and unsafe work. And those are things we're always looking for when we're hiring subcontractors. So Jonathan, how has real estate investing impacted your life? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's for sure 180 degreed my life. I don't think that's a real word, but completely changed my life all the way across the board. And because I used to just be someone, like I said, who is very unaware, self-absorbed, worried about myself, real estate has allowed me to kind of step into my true authentic self, be a person who looks to serve people um, first, because that's when I found I am the most fulfilled. I'm so passionate about the people we're helping and uh, because helping mom and pop real estate investors, and I mean that just people getting started, we're helping them achieve almost like the American dream, right? Everyone wants to have more money, to have more time, to have more freedom. Having that time to spend more time with your family is absolutely amazing. And so knowing that we're able to help those people, knowing that we're also able to help subcontractors who are probably, in my opinion, some of the most unrespected people in our country and they're probably the hardest working people we have in our country. And so we're able to let them do what they love, such as swing a hammer and turn the wrench and not have to worry about all the paperwork, all the marketing, all the sales, all the estimating, all that stuff um, that doesn't make their life easier. It makes it harder. And so, you know, real estate investing has brought all these avenues for me to serve more people. And that just fulfills me every day that I'm alive. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I mean, it's super easy. I don't have to learn things the hard way. I don't have to go about everything the hard way to do it myself. I've learned that I'm absolutely horrible at most things. And then if I can surround myself with people who are amazing at what they do, that's what you know makes my life much easier is being the networker and connector and just continue to surround myself with amazing people because I'm not really good at anything, to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because knowing that part of yourself and being willing to surround yourself and giving up some of that control and trusting other people to do the work that you're not able to do, you have to have a certain level of clarity and and willingness to be open about that, to be able to partner with other people and trust that they are able to handle the things that you're working on because otherwise it all falls back on you. Yeah. I mean, everything falls back on me no matter what, if I'm the leader too. And part of being a, an amazing leader is, you know, admitting when things are your fault. And if things don't go the way they're supposed to, it's your fault, you know, and I have no problem admitting that and taking the responsibility. What I hate when I do is when I actually push my team so much and then I can't recognize that they need help. 
Mm. And that's my fault too. And so, yeah, it's always a constant struggle on that teeter-totter of pushing to go forward, releasing your control, because to be honest, you're not going to scale doing anything if you kind of continue to do everything yourself. And that's what I had to learn the hard way. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? What is the one thing that set successful people apart? So I'll give you three things and the three things I tell everyone. And I'm actually adding four because the first one is to take action. And that used to be the third one. But someone pointed out to me that my first one is educating and learning. So reading changed my life. I read tons of books every day. I believe that reading creates a vision for you to help you understand where you're going and what you're doing. So I encourage everyone to read and educate, number one. So go on Bigger Pockets, go on, read some books, go to networking events. That's number two is networking. Find other people who are doing what you're doing and doing it better than you are. And then you'll become like them. Three is taking action and being decisive again. The more you can be decisive and not hem haw and oh this property is not quite cash flowing when you're getting going you're just slowing yourself down in the long run because it's not about the one deal it's about the four five six fifty deals past the first one or two that are really going to bring you into a generational wealth position and jonathan where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing yeah so the easiest place to find more about our company is probably on our website which is www.qualitybuilders.com our Instagram is Quality Builders Inc. And then personally, I'm Coach Clem on Instagram. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Eileen, you did a great job. I love all your questions and I really appreciate you having on me. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.